now and then. It's already passe. You've already... Uh, sorry, sorry. All right. Hey, in, in that case, the pious people will be glad we're to the Bible early. Uh, turn, please, to Hebrews 11, starting in verse 30. Hebrews eleven thirty, And this is God's word. By faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, would uh, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I started my studies on this actually fairly early in the week, and uh, so this was kind of on my heart and mind, and it, it sparked a conversation with a uh, pastor friend here at the Grace Evangelical Church, and this pastor friend and I were talking, and uh, we were in agreement. I'll tell you what it was, it was John Otley. Uh, we were in agreement that the longer we're in ministry... And the older we're get, we get, and the more we've observed, and the more we've matured spiritually, um, the more insight we've gained that only comes with time, um, the more scared we are. Um, and, and, and hear me correctly, I don't mean that we're, oh, so scared of the culture and so scared of the world, not scared of that at all. What we're scared of is uh, we've seen, like you, Quite a few people make tragic decisions that, has ca- that have caused their lives to implode. Um, men, uh, man after man after man after man do- doing dumb things that would cause them to veer off from the wife of their youth. Woman after woman after woman after woman doing dumb things that would cause her to veer off from the husband of her youth. Or we've seen, all of us, people who have uh, seemed to possess a faith, be solid in their walk, and then all of a sudden, they get led astray by some weird theology. Uh, they get pulled into some weird kind of thought, and um, they, they fall away from the faith, and it's a frightening thing. You, you see them, and they seem to be so solid. They seem to have uh, uh, affirmed the faith. They may even have led other people to the Lord, and yet uh, you see them fall away. Uh, it's tragic. And uh, so, friends, don't be seduced by a culture uh, into thinking that God isn't real, that God doesn't have all the power, that God doesn't have all the knowledge 
that God doesn't control everything and sustain everything. Don't be fooled by a culture um, who would tell you that God isn't good and the source of all the good, and that God isn't true and the standard of all truth, and that God isn't loving and the standard of all truth um, and the source of all truth, uh, source of all love. Don't believe that God isn't holy, and don't believe that God isn't a just judge. He is those things. Don't believe that he's not. Uh, And remember, if he's holy, utterly pure, uh, if he's a just judge, well, then that's a big problem uh, if you're a sinner. Um, because not only does he have to judge sin, but he's got to punish it, and he can't have dirty souls near him. And so the good news of the gospel is this. You know what it is? Uh, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. Uh, God God rescued us. He he found a way, but he he, he provided the one way. Uh, There's only one way, friends. Uh, There's only one. Zero percent deviation on that, and you throw the whole of the gospel away. And that's the great concern of this gospel writer, all right? He's a pastor. He's writing to people who are under under severe cultural and religious pressure to um, deviate from the exclusivity of the gospel. And so, yes, we should have a healthy concern for our souls uh, in concert with a security for what Christ has accomplished. The Bible is never hesitant to present that tension. Um, You are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now guard your soul. Uh, Christ paid the sin debt. God instigated it. He who started the good work will complete it. Now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible presents that tension without even flinching. You're safe. Don't take it for granted and be sloppy about it because it is dangerous. Now, my point is simply that it's hard to keep the faith in a life and culture that tends to press in on us and tell us that we're all crazy and opposes us. It makes being a Christian hard, and have you noticed, it's gotten harder. All right, so that leads us to our main point here today, which is this. Faith overcomes in the face of obstacles. I must not forget that that's the pastor writer's point here, okay? So as we continue, let's uh, look at our first point, which is faith conquering. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven uh, days. Now, a um, lot of stuff in this text, a lot of names, a lot of, lot of stuff. And you know, you really, it's just as a, as a personal note, to, totally off my notes right now, but Hebrews is a frightening book to teach. Um, for, for years I wanted to, and for years I was afraid of it, and then when I finally started doing it, I was even more afraid of it. It's just a frightening book. And one of the things that makes it frightening is you have these grand passages, this deep connection to the Old Testament throughout. Um, and then you get to chapter 11, you have to decide what to do with it. Um, and so people will either try to mush it into one big blob or break it up into a big, long thing. Um, and then you get to this passage where we are today, these 10 verses, and you go, wow, what do I do? Do I spend six months in this or do I do a one day in it? You know, it's just, it's really tough. I think we're, I think we're wise in keeping all these together because we see what the scripture writer is trying to get across here. In fact, um, even in verse 32, he goes, what more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell you of all these other people. I mean, he's trying to make a point. He's, trying, he's not trying to do an exhaustive case study on every single person that he mentions, okay? That's why we're grouping it like this here today. All right, but I have a question for you. How much time has elapsed between verse 29 and verse 30? 
Let's read them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. We read that last week. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Here's verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they've been in a circle for seven days. How much time has elapsed between those two verses? Anybody know? 40 years. 40 years. All right, so the people who had crossed the Red Sea on dry land, uh, those who had escaped Egyptian slavery, those who had followed Moses, um, they, uh, they distrusted God, they were disobedient in the desert, and so what God made them do is uh, wander around following him through the desert for 40 years until that whole generation died finally. So they got old and they died, and the next generation rose up, and they were the ones that went into the land. So a big 40-year gap here. Um, so what we've got here in verse 30 is uh, Joshua and the people and Jericho and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're the ones who enter the land um, after all this time. Now, if you would flip back to look at something f- for me, look, to, look at, um, the, turn to the book of Joshua. So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And let's look at chapter 5, verse 13. This thing happens. So, uh, you know, Joshua begins, as you find that Joshua begins, um, you know, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Um, and uh, he summons Joshua to take over. Joshua and Caleb were the two that went into the land, believed. They're the only two from that generation that make it into the, the promised land. And so something interesting happens. Joshua's leading the people now. And in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Joshua, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. <laughs> man, I love that. Us or for your adversaries? You got it all wrong, buddy. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Who is this character? He's a mysterious character. He's a man in the distance with a drawn sword. Who is he? Well, let's see. Um, Joshua fell on his face to the earth. So there was something uh, pretty astounding about him. Uh, By the way, he announced himself as a commander of the army of the Lord. Pretty big deal. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him. Worshiped him. Now, any other time you see somebody falling on their face and worshiping someone who's not God, a messenger from God, uh, they say, no, 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 not me, not me. I mean, the uh, the apostle John does it at the very last page of Revelation. He falls down and uh, tries to worship an angel, and the angel goes, no, 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 wrong guy, wrong guy, not here. Commander of the Lord, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua falls on his face, worships him, and says to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And here's what the commander says. Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What does that sound like? It sounds like God meeting with Moses, doesn't it? Who do you think this figure is? It's obviously divine. It's probably a pre-incarnate version of Christ, and that's called a Christophany. All right, so before Christ has come uh, and take on a human nature, uh, he has shown up at various points in the scriptures as a, as a Christophany, okay? Now, that's an important thing. Go back to our passage here. Joshua has this personal encounter with God. Um, the, 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 the person of God meets with him. And so in verse 30 and following, it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Um, 
it's it's this this scene where oh back to our passage here it, it, you don't have to turn but um you know Jericho is shut up it's this sealed city it's this fortified city and um it's, it's an amazing story. Let me just read you just a few things here. Joshua rises up in the morning, and uh, seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. All right? <laughs> Big trumpets, you know? And, um, and uh, they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they blow the trumpets uh, the entire time, and they circle the city. The second day, they do it again. <laughs> they blow the thing, they circle the city. They take the Ark of the Covenant, and they go around Jericho. And they do that for seven days in a row, except on the seventh day, they circle it seven times. After that, Joshua says, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and kablam, the walls fall down. Now, that sounds pretty nutty, doesn't it? Nutty's the point. God gives them something that is contrary to, uh, to their, their, their rational thinking, um, and they obey, and then it shows who's doing what. All right, so you've got this commander of the army of the Lord who's come to the leader, and uh, they're, they're told to do this thing. They do it obediently and uh, success. And then it goes on to say, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. So we're back in our passage here. You've got these people who have uh, circled the walls of Jericho uh, for seven days, and it happens. And then that hooks right up to, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. Um, so there's, there's people moving in obedient faith, unlike their disobedient parents, and buddied right up on that is Rahab the prostitute. Now, this is a good time to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that the lives of all the people in this, this list here are flawed. Now, you don't get some details about, like, Joshua and stuff like that, okay? But, but Samson... Jephthah, David, um, yeah, I mean, you go down the list, uh, Rahab, it's, it's not like some sanitized little sweetie pie little Christian list. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's flawed people. Um, the righteous don't need saving, um, and there is no one righteous, no, not one. That's a problem. Um, and, and, and it's just a very important part of the gospel presentation here that uh, God, God takes the unrighteous and helps them. So not only is Rahab commended for her faith, okay? So you got this prostitute, Rahab, commended for her faith. Um, here's what she says. I know the Lord has given you the land. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. She says, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. But notice the contrast that the writer makes between this group of people who go into Jericho, the walls fall down, and Rahab the prostitute, and the ones from 40 years earlier. The ones from 40 years earlier... Um, you know, it says of, of Rahab, um, by faith she didn't perish with those who were disobedient. Let me read you this from um, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, it describes the first generation of, of Israelites, and it calls them those who were disobedient. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. Isn't that amazing? All right, the whole first generation who were disobedient are contrasted against Rahab the redeemed prostitute. They're saying she wasn't disobedient like these people were disobedient. Now, if that isn't a glorious gospel message, I don't know what is. That God could take the most, the, 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 one, of the, one of the hardest categories of humanity, redeem that person, um, call her obedient, and use her as a contrast against his own disobedient people. Amazing. And here now you have this group of people who have moved into the land and uh, they are now obedient. Uh, application for your life. 
Um, faith in what God has said is entry to him. Um, Rahab believed what God had said. That's access to him. The former generation did not believe what God had said. There was a consequence for that. Um, you know, back in the day, and I've heard that other cities have this too, but I, you know, I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for two years. Did you know that? Um, and there was this funky, like, bar club that I'd heard about. And uh, you had to go down this spooky alley. It was dark. It wasn't, like, cleaned up or anything. Dumpsters, spooky alleys, you know, people lurking behind dumpsters probably. And you go down the spooky alley, and uh, you would go in through a door, and you would knock three times, and the thing would slide open, and you had to give, like, a password. You ever heard one of these things? All right, and some of these, you know, it's a weird, it was very spooky. Anyway... I had heard about it. A friend told me about it. He told me what the password was, and I went by myself. And I'm walking down this alley. It's a dark, scary alley. I find the thing. It's like, okay, the third one to the left. I mean, nothing's marked. It's just black and dark and dingy and scary, and you go in. Anyway, as, as the thing slides, you're like, I sure hope that what that guy told me was real, you know, that this password works and I'm not about to get murdered. Anyway, the whole point is, Believing what was told me was my point of entry, and I'm saying that's the whole thing here too. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the sinner's only hope of rescue from God's wrath, and don't let anyone ever compromise you on that. Um, It is Christ alone, Christ and him crucified, Christ plus nothing else, and any compromise on that um, cancels the entry. All right, let's continue on. Uh, verse 32, he, the writer is uh, grouping things together here, and he says, uh, what more shall I say? He goes, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and so on. Um, in other words, he's saying, I just can't go on rewriting the entire Old Testament. You have the Old Testament. You can refer to it. Um, uh, and I think it's also um, an indication that we're not necessarily supposed to do a case study on each one of these names. He's making a big point, and he could, could have pulled from uh, dozens more names of the faithful uh, in the Old Testament, but he picks these. Um, and so it, it's, not just, it's not a curated list. I think the point is this, that faith overcomes in the face of obstacles, and faith sustains in the face of obstacles. But let's look at a few of these names real quickly. Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon. Um, he had an army of 300. It started out much bigger. God whittled the army down, whittled the army down, whittled the army down until it was only 300. And um, then they do this wacky thing where they have a candle in, a, uh, in a, a clay pot, and they walk around, and they smash it, and they blow the horn, and, and, and uh, God delivers them. Um, then you've got this guy, Barak. Barak, um, you know, there was a bad king, Jabin, king of Canaan, and he had a commander of his army, Sisera. You had a judge, Deborah. She was judge of the land, okay, in the, of the Israelites. And her commander of the army uh, was Barak. And Barak says a very interesting thing. Um, he, she says, okay, uh, go to war and you're going to fight Sisera and his army. And Barak says this, okay, and he's not just some little sissy guy. He's a commander. He's an army guy. And he says to Deborah the prophetess, he says, if you go with me, I will go. If you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, that's not him going, oh, Deborah, keep me safe. I'm a scaredy military commander. What he's doing is he's talking to the prophetess, yo. 
She has the word of the Lord. The, the prophet or prophetess is the word of the Lord in the land in the midst of the people. And he knows this. And he's saying, if you don't come with me, I ain't going. Because you know what I want? Not to go in my own strength. I want to go in the power of the Lord. All right, so same thing. You've got a guy like Gideon who does this weird thing that God told him. They believe him, and it's God doing the saving. Barak recognizes this too. He says, oh, yeah, I'll go fight the bad guy, but not if the word of the Lord doesn't come with me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it in my own power. Another guy called out for his faith. Um, How about this? Samson, hardly an exemplary life. Uh, Hardly a perfect life, right? A perfect life, I should say. Um, But, friends, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Again, God doing the work. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he brings on his uh, enemies at the end, and, and uh, God is, does this, this work. Um, he cries out, expecting that God would help, and God does help. How about Jephthah? Anybody know the story of Jephthah? Um, it's quite a story. He was a warrior. He was commissioned to fight against the Ammonites, and um, he makes a terrible, hasty, stupid vow. He says, uh, by the way, the Spirit of the Lord comes to him too. The Spirit of the Lord comes to him. Um, but in the course of all this, he makes a terrible vow. He vows that, uh, okay, if you give me victory over the bad guys, the Ammonites, um, whatever walks out of my front door of my house, will I come home, I'll kill. <laughs> Not a very healthy uh, uh, thing. And by the way, uh, there are lots of, lots of saints and, um, and pastors and commentators who don't think that he did it. I think that he did do it. So does Randy Ray, if that means anything to you. Um, but we think Jephthah, Jephthah did this horrible thing. But uh, all to say, um, he had exposure to the Holy Spirit of God also, and uh, he is commended for his faith. Um, Samuel and the prophet, uh, David and Sam, uh, Samuel the prophet, um, in, in verses 33 and following, look at it. It says, um, David, Samuel, the prophet, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and so on. Yes, uh, did David the king and Samuel the prophet, who were in concert together, um, did they uh, conquer kingdoms? Yes. Did they enforce justice? Yes. They forged it. Um, Did they obtain promises? Yes. Stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the power of fire, escaping by the edge of the sword. What is that referring to? Um, Well, there are three people who stopped the mouth of a lion. Um, Benaiah, one of the mighty men of David, David himself, and also Daniel. Um, But you you got Daniel, you got fire, um, you got uh, escape from the sword and so on. Uh, um, Daniel says of his uh, stopping the line that my God sent his angel, he says to King Darius. So that's probably about uh, Daniel. Uh, Not a feat of strength, but an act of faith. And then in verse 35, to close this little section here, it says that women received back their dead by resurrection. You know who that's referring to? Prophets, specifically Elijah and Elisha, who uh, both brought dead children back and gave them back to their moms. Now, application for your life. What have we learned here in all this? Um, We have learned that God can save by many or God can save by few. We have learned that God tends to use the unlikely. Rahab is unlikely. Jephthah is unlikely. David is is unlikely. He was the last of the brothers that uh, Samuel brought out, that, that were paraded before Samuel, before God said, no, that's the guy. God, God likes to use the unlikely. He saves the unlikely. And uh, lastly, I would say here that being flawed is no disqualification for God's saving hand. All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, 
faith suffering, verses uh, 35 and following. It says here, uh, halfway through verse 35, some were tortured, wow, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. We know that uh, Paul was one of those. Even chains and imprisonment. I mean, Christians were crucified and crucified and crucified. Lots of Christians were crucified. Thousands and thousands of Christians were crucified. Um, they were stoned. Uh, yeah, chains and prison, stoned, sawn in two, ladies and gentlemen. You know that it's a, it's a tradition, but probably a fairly well-supported tradition that Isaiah was sawn in two, the prophet Isaiah. Um, and, you know, as you read about some of this stuff, it's awful um, the way they would, some of the, the means of, of uh, torture and persecution here, tying them up and rolling them over. It's just awful, awful stuff. Um, they went in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. That means all their stuff was taken away. All their possessions removed from them, gone. All their comforts, gone. Wandering about, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Uh, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. That's how they had to live their life of faith. That's quite a life of faith, isn't it? Application for your life. Quite a life of faith. Um, it sounds hard, and it is hard, and it's hard for us to imagine uh, everything removed from us. Um, but, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's been hard to see in, in the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, you know, I, I remember Tammy and I went on a, a college trip years ago to New York, and it was a, it was a thing that we went to several homeless shelters. And um, it was a really neat experience. We stayed in Queens at a, like a former hospital. It was real creepy. Uh, you're staying in these hospital rooms in this big kind of empty hospital. Um, but we would take the train in, and we'd go to these various homeless shelters. And... Um, then we worshiped at a couple of different churches. And going to these churches was pretty, pretty amazing because um, they were rented buildings. They were these old, old, old churches that smelled musty and woody. Um, but people would get on the subways and they'd come from all over the place. Okay, so it's not like here, oh, seven minutes, we're at the church. Come on, let's go. You know, McAllister's. Um, it's not everything wasn't right there, you know? And so people would jump on the train. They'd come from, from a long distance. They'd get there, and it was like they would pop out of the subway, and they'd pop into the church, and they'd go, oh, the Christians, here we all are. We, we weren't out there. Maybe zero on the subway that I, but here we are. And then afterward, they have cookies down in the musty basement. And you know how many people stayed for cookies? Everybody. Not like here, bye, see you next week. They stayed for cookies, dry cookies, but, it, but they were together. Um, <laughs> all to say, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, I come down to Memphis and I'm like, wow, look at all these Christians. Hey, everybody, do Lord, oh, do Lord, everybody, everybody knows all this stuff, you know? Well, it's, it's, it's changing though, isn't it? I mean, a year ago almost, uh, nine months ago, I, I, had, I had double knee replacement surgery. I went under the knife, woke up all groggy. Before I, before I had my surgery and, and woke up all groggy and was on pain pills for, for two and a half weeks, um, men and women, that was a marriage. When I woke up, that wasn't that way anymore. And now the bathrooms are all crazy. 
and the whole world's gone nuts. I mean, it's, it's harder to become a Christian. Bruce Springsteen won't play a concert in North Carolina because there's a boy's bathroom and a girl's bathroom. Let me tell you something, man. It's going to get harder and harder, and it's going to be harder for your kids, and it's going to be much harder for their kids if, if a democracy is still intact. We, you don't know what's going to happen. All the stuff that we have, all the comforts, you don't know what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. You don't know what. Um, it costs you to follow this Christ. It's going to cost you even more. Um, frequently remind yourself, frequently ask yourself, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to apply this to your life, get grounded in reality. Ask yourself, is the glory of this Jesus and fidelity to this Jesus at the top of all that is important to me? Could you take everything else away? Would Jesus still be on top? Would he still be enough? Friends, that's, the, that's what he's trying to teach our souls every single minute of this sanctified life, the sanctifying life. Um, ask yourself, test yourself. Is he on the top of all that's important to me? Hey, friends, the gospel is a free gift. It's free, it's free, it's free, it's free. The Bible says it's a gift, the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should say, I did that. No, it's a gift. That said, How much does the gospel cost? Nothing and everything. (laughs) All right, last point. Faith hoping. It's this last little hunk here, uh, verses 39 and 40. It says, all these, though commended through their faith, all the people that I just listed, including all the ones that started from the beginning of chapter 11, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What does that mean? It means that the Savior did not come in their time. They were looking ahead to a promised deliverer. They were putting their faith in who? In what? How were they saved? By looking ahead to Jesus Christ, the promised deliverer. They didn't have all the specifics that we have, but they knew that there was a promised deliverer. They believed the word of God. They believed the promise of God. What they could believe, they did believe. Now, we have the advantage of looking back on it. We say, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ. He lived 2,000 years ago. He was grounded in human history. He spoke a real language. He had real relationships. Uh, These are real stories. Uh, We look back on him and we see what he did. We look back on the cross that saves. They look forward to the cross that saves. And it says, uh, since God had provided something better for us, that's what he's talking about, is that we have the, the, the ability to believe in Christ specifically. Um, that, that's, that's what all that means. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, that um, is the commentary on the beginning of the chapter, of chapter 11. These things, though commended through faith, they didn't receive what was promised. God provided something better for us. Apart from that, this should be made perfect. That's the commentary on chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, yes, we have salvation in Christ. Yes, we have a Savior with a name. They look forward to a Savior, uh, a yet-to-be-seen Savior. Here's an application for your life, though. There are still things we don't know, okay? I mean, these, the, these names here, these are, uh, these are important um, components in redemptive history, all right? So I'm not saying that we're, we're them. But ladies and gentlemen, um, there are still things we don't know. We look forward. We have to take God on his word. We don't know. How does my life end? Don't know. Um, what will it be like in heaven? 
We don't know. We know we'll be like Christ, whatever that means. We don't know, though. Um, will my kids be okay? Will America still be around in 2050? Don't know. Um, but we do know that faith overcomes in the face of obstacles. Friends, what's the worst problem you ever had? You know what the worst problem you ever had was? Sin problem. Separation from a God who's holy. That's the worst problem you ever had. God solve that problem. Does it not stand to reason that he will hold you in his grip today? The grouping of the people in this passage kind of moves from patriarchal to judges to kings to the prophets, and now there's us. Now we're the ones. We're the ones who have to say, God, what do you have in store? God, you've got all the control. God, you're the one in power. God, I don't know the answers, but I'm going to believe what you said, and that is the entry point to this saving God in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, <clears throat> we do uh, confess that um, the Christian life is um, often a struggle, but it is such a profound joy to be in a personal relationship with the God of the universe, the God who condescends, the God who found a way for divinity to communicate with humanity and to take uh, fallen men and women from uh, Rahab to uh, Jephthah to Jim Umloff um, and take us in our flaws, take us in our weakness, um, and not leave us where you found us. Uh, We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you that uh, you can be trusted. We do trust you, and we pray, Lord, for the grace to keep us Um, never let us outlive our love for you. We pray it in Christ's name.